at chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13, and uh, <clears throat> tonight we're going to be kind of continuing on on the other, uh, maybe some people this morning, they, uh, I must, we must have given them too much, and maybe they just got too full, but uh, what you need to do when you get home tonight, when it's done, you just tell them, say, man, you missed it, it was gooder tonight, amen, I, I might have to stop saying that, or I'm really going to say it, but uh, if you would, I want you to look, we're not going to go back and preach these things, but I want to kind of bring our hearts back together from the last thing that we were talking about, I know that some of you probably can't get out of your mind the last thing we talked about, right, because I would like, you know, uh, watch me whip, watch me what? Skene, okay, <laughs> you remember the skene. Uh, <laughs> Brother Brent came to me after the service and said, I got a way you can remember that. He said, scabies. I was like, I don't think no one wants to remember scabies at all, but uh, we'll stick with skene and skeno. If you weren't here this morning, those are the Greek words that we talked about, and those two Greek words were the ones that said skene was where Jesus came to tabernacle with men and tabernacle with humanity means that he came to be with us, to die uh, for us and to dwell with us. But that skeno is that we have our home in heaven and that we have tabernacled ourselves. Even while we're still here walking among the earth, our home and citizenship is in heaven, amen, and it's over on the other side. And so we kind of pick back up with that. Look back with me at verse number five. I, I promise I will not preach verse five and six again unless the Lord just really pounds it in my heart. But man, those are two good verses. It says, and there was given unto him a mouth. All right, women, you got your second chance to amen that. That was your second chance to amen and give your husband a poke in the ribs, right? And there was given unto him a mouth. Maybe it would be a little bit more uh, enthusiasm to amens if it said uh, there was given unto her a mouth, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, and to blaspheme his name, to blaspheme his tabernacle, and to blaspheme them that dwell in heaven. And that's kind of where we ended. We were going to just try to get these six verses this morning, or five verses this morning. We couldn't get through those first two. And so looking at that, that five and six, uh, man, it was talking about how that he was just blaspheming all of those things. And I told you how that the word of God was made flesh and that he came and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us is what that scripture actually says, that, that he put on that earthly body so that what? He could redeem those that were under the law. The Bible says he became a curse under the law to redeem those that were what? Under that curse and under that law. And what was that law? It's the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death says that if you sin, then what? The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ coming and being tabernacled in this body and coming to this earth and dwelling with us, what did he do? It says that if we accept that free gift, amen, that's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so looking at that, we know also that he said that it's just for a little time. I think we left off this morning by talking about just some temporary things, things that were eternal compared to things that are temporary. And how many times do we, hopefully you went home this afternoon, and I hope that before you close your eyes in a nap, and before you drop the spoon of the bluebell, you know, I hope that you took time and just went, you know what, that was right. I really need to rethink some things in my life, and I really need to kind of prioritize what is an eternal thing and what is a temporary thing. I need to fix these things in my life. I need to go, all right, Lord, Help me understand what really doesn't matter in the full scheme of eternity, 
But help me focus on what really does matter in all things that are eternity, amen, all things that are eternal. And some of the scriptures that we left off was probably one of my favorite where he said, For our light affliction, which is just for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things that are seen. He says, we don't look at the things that are seen, but he says, we look at the things that are not seen because why? The things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Bible even talks about in the book of Hebrews that true hope is not seeing something, but yet it's hoping that it is there. And then people even do this. They go, well, you're supposed to have blind faith and just have blind trust in the Lord. That's not really true either because why? We don't have to have blind faith. We know that he walked this earth. We know that he was crucified. We know because because the record has accounted what? That he has risen from the grave. So it's not a blind faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that died for the sins of the world. Even a Roman centurion looked at him as he died on the cross. And this is what he said. Truly, and in another gospel, surely this was the Son of God. You know why he said something like that? Because being a Roman centurion, he understood death. He saw death. He lived and breathed and with blood and sweat. And he heard people uh, cry out angrily. He heard thieves as they moaned upon the crosses. He heard thieves as they would uh, just kind of uh, be uh, raging out against the crowd and screaming and hollering, saying, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. But he watched Jesus die. And when he got through watching Jesus die, what did he do? He said, truly, surely this was the Son of God. He understood it. We have those accounts. Even Peter says this, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty and his glory and all of those things. In other words, Peter's saying, don't just take it from somebody who knew somebody, who knew this guy, who knew this guy, who knew this guy, but take it from someone that actually saw him do all of these things. We eyewitnessed it all, amen? So tonight we're going to get into verse number 7, amen? Aren't you excited? Look at what it says in verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. It's like all right, we went up on this huge high excitement you know, this morning. And we talk about how that things are temporary and things are eternal and dwelling. Those that are on the earth, but they have their dwelling and abode in heaven. You know, they have that skeno, that tabernacle that's there. And then all of a sudden you look at this and you go, it was given unto him to make war with the saints. Do you remember the first word we talked about this morning in verse number five? The word was given. And as we talked about that word, we said that they gave him a mouth. And we looked at that. We said that it couldn't be, there wasn't, that the Lord had said, okay, I'm just going to let you do whatever you want to do, and you can just kind of go wild, Satan, and all that stuff. God doesn't do that. Even, even when Satan stole the dominion of this earth from Adam and Eve, even in all of that, the word of God in Psalm says that the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. It does not belong to Satan. Even though he is a lowercase prince and thinks that he rules and reigns because he rules with darkness and wickedness and evil in high places, he still does not own this earth. Amen? This place is God's. Adam never owned this earth. God allowed him to have dominion over this earth. Amen? And so here we are. How, how many of you a couple of weeks ago when I preached that, you went home and, and you told that chicken that? You remember we talked about when you have that fried chicken on the plate, you, you let that thing know you got dominion? Did you, did you let it know you had dominion? How'd you do it? I did mine like this. I just bit into it. And so that just kind of, I, I have dominion over you, right? Look, this scripture, it says that they gave him the mouth. Because why? They gave him the ears. 
uh, you know, the Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs and in the book of uh, uh, Psalms, some, but mostly in Proverbs, it talks about uh, a fool speaking. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the old t-shirt that says, you know, it's best to be thought a fool than you open your mouth and confirm it. You know what I mean? And uh, it's better that people think that. The Bible even says that when we argue with a fool, that we actually make two fools instead of just one fool. And so you look at this. What I'm saying is, is that whenever Satan, the Antichrist, was speaking all of the things that he was trying to tell them and trying to come at them, they were allowing him to sow those things into their ears and into their hearts. Why? Because they gave him the mouth. They allowed him to speak. But in this verse, in verse number 7, it says what? And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. The Bible says that now God is having an allowance. God is allowing Satan to come in and to make war with the saints. It's not God doing this. Please don't misunderstand it. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. It's not God doing this as though God looks down to the earth at some kind of chess match and he's putting pawns in each place, and he's putting the rook in each place. Listen, God, you got to know that God on his throne is much greater than a chess match, and that it's not a game of checkers. It's not a game of strategy. It's not God going, okay, if Satan makes this move, then therefore I need to figure out how to make this move. No, it's all God knowing all things, amen? He is omniscient. He understands and has all wisdom. He is omnipotent. He has all power. God is not caught off guard by anything. God was not caught off guard by sin. The Bible says that it was foreordained in the councils of heaven in 1 Peter that Jesus Christ would be slain on a cross, that he would be slain for the sins of the world. He says that it was before the foundations of the earth ever began. And so when you look at that, God was never caught off guard by anything and him going, oh no, I don't know what I'm going to do. Adam rejected me. Eve sinned and they did all these things. Oh no, what in the world shall I ever do? It's not that. And it's not that Satan brings up something and God goes, well, I need to figure out how to counter react that no satan is constantly going against a holy god a sovereign god that understands what he not only has full sovereignty which is god's will god's perfect will if you understand god's sovereignty you'll understand this that his will is explained in the scriptures that he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance but when you look at that he also has foreknowledge and the foreknowledge or foresight of God is understanding creation. That's why he understood what? When Jacob and Esau were born, he understood and told that, listen, that the older would serve the younger. It, and people go, well, he picked him out and he selected him out and God just kind of did all that stuff together. But what God did was God was speaking over their life and knew what was going to happen because why? God can see those things. It's not that God says, okay, God's going to use Andrew and God's going to use Jacob, but God's not going to use Steve. That's not what he says. What he's talking about is having sovereignty and having foreknowledge is that God has chosen us to be saved. And here's the key words we're going to talk about in a minute. Chosen us to be saved in his son. What that means is, is that God's wonderful plan of salvation is not wrapped up in what we may think, what we may do, us being good, us being good merits and, and working and doing all this. Why? Because the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter number 9, it's not by him that willeth. And what that means is not by any that desire to be saved, but it is through Jesus Christ that we're all saved. What that means is, is that God saved us all. There's no one in here that is saved, ever been saved, will be saved, apart from God doing the same. Saving. 
None of us. We're in a pit. We're in a miry pit of clay. We can't save ourselves. We can't throw a rope up. We can't even have somebody else come and save us. I remember when I first got saved, and I remember standing in church, and a young man stood up and said, if it wasn't for church softball, I'd have never got saved. Church softball, I was saved because of church softball. And I remember as a young believer going, no, you did not. You got saved because of Jesus Christ. And and people go, well, Brother Steve, you're just splitting hairs. I told you God's designed me that I can't split hair, okay? God's made me where I can't split hairs with people. But what the problem is is we say things sometimes out of emotion, and we really don't have any scripture to back it up. And then all of a sudden someone hears that and then they build this crazy kind of doctrine off of what we said. And then before long we're trying to get everybody to play softball because softball everybody gets saved. Right? And I'm going to tell you something about church softball. I don't even know if those players that attend the church are saved. And church basketball is even worse. There are no fouls in church basketball. It is the roughest thing that you'll ever, ever endure. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about, since Brother Josh has joined, we were thinking about making you the coach this year for the church basketball team. Let's see if we can handle that. But anyway, it, it's bad. People go, well, I got saved because of a song, or I got saved because of this. Listen, we get saved only, only by the sovereignty of God that looks down upon this earth with his wonderful grace and love and his eyes with his hand extended and his ear leaned over. He is what saves us. But we have, because God has wonderfully, beautifully, and fearfully created us, we have this wonderful thing that's called a free moral. We're like free moral agents, basically. We have the, we have the right to choose him. Adam and Eve had the right to choose to do wrong in the Garden of Eden. Listen, all the way through Scripture, we've seen people make horrible choices like Jacob. Not, not just that Jacob, but there, even maybe there's some Jacobs in here tonight that made some bad choices, right? I mean, he can't help it. He gets it from his mama's side of the family. But look, make these bad choices. It's, we have the right to choose. We have the privilege. Let me, let me take that back. We don't have the right to choose. We have the privilege to be able to choose or to reject him. And so therefore, looking at this scripture, God allows Satan to do these things. And we're tempted to look at this, and I don't know about y'all, but in a passive society that we kind of live in today, we're very offended about everything. And, uh, you know, people get all upset about the way their chicken is cooked and all this other stuff. We get very offended about anything we, and especially in the United States of America, are very offended And I want you to look at that scripture one more time in verse number 7. It says, It was given unto him to make war with the saints. And look at these words, to overcome them. And power was given to him or given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And you look at these scriptures like this. And these scriptures are hard sometimes to look and to put a loving God in that. It's hard to do that. Isn't it hard sometimes to look at how God said that he destroyed the Amalekites in the Old Testament and told them to get rid of all of them? And you look at that and you go, God was this warmonger. God was this God that was a fighter all the time and he was always trying to destroy all. He even told them to destroy the, the, the children, the, the animals, the beasts and everything. And you're tempted to look at that and go, that's not the God that the pastor always preaches about or the televangelist tells us all the time. 
about a loving God that wants you to come to him and he desires you to come to him. And the reason is, is because too many preachers today are not preaching the fullness of the word of God. They are not preaching both sides of what this Bible tells us is that God is a God of love, but God loves you so much that he is also a God of justice, he is a God of truth, and he therefore can't be a holy God if he does not judge sinful and wrong things. But see, we want the ones, how many of you ever met or, or, or you got a kid or maybe you were a kid and, and they come home and they just look at you and maybe they got a D or got an F on their report card and they look at you and go, that teacher hates me. Huh? How many of you are that teacher? Any of, we got teachers in here. That teacher hates me. That's their first go-to. That's the first go-to. You got a D or an F in there and the first thing you say, well, what do you have to say for yourself? That teacher just doesn't like me very much. They hate me. Oh, because they gave you a D or an F because you failed your test, because you failed all this stuff, they hate you. Oh, yes, they hate me. That's what people think when we preach about a holy God that actually has judgment. They try to change the image of God for who we know he is. Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Malachi, all of them, Micah said, there is no God like unto you who forgives sin, who pardons iniquity, who is merciful and who is great and whose mercy endures forever. We know God to be that. And so if we know God to be that, when he judges our sin and he punishes us for our sin, we can't turn around and go, well, God, you just don't like me anymore, do you? And there's people that feel that way. They run away from church. Well, God, you just don't like me anymore. And God, you just don't care about me anymore. No, no, no. You've got to understand that the Scripture tells us that he chastens those whom he loves. And what that means is he chastises them. It means that he whips you so that you would understand don't go that way. You ought to, you ought to let me tell you something real quick. Time out for just a second. This doesn't count in the message, all right? But I want to tell you something. If you are being whipped because you are doing wrong and you're in sin, you ought to bow down and not only ask God to forgive you, but you ought to start out with thanking him first that he is whipping you and that he's chastising you because you know why? That means he loves you and you're one of his. Too many people today want to look at God and look at these scriptures and go, well, I could never serve a God like that. He's going to allow the Antichrist to make war with the saints of God. He's going to allow the Antichrist to overcome them. He's going to allow power given unto him. He's going to, listen, he's going to have an authority, a rule, because the word power comes from that authority. He's going to allow him to rule over nations and tribes and tongues of people. I just can't believe that a holy God would do something like that. But I want you to look at it as the scripture shows us. In the previous verse, in verse number 5, look at the end of it. It says, and power was given unto him to continue 42 months. Listen, although Satan's reign as the Antichrist is a powerful one, an effective one, Brother Craig, I'm glad it's a limited one. It's limited. Listen, the Bible says that when we are saved, it says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. It tells us that we will rule and reign with him for how long? Forever. 
Amen. Why? Because it's not temporary. It's a forever thing. Amen. It's a forever situation. It's an eternal thing. But the Bible declares right here that Satan and his Antichrist has already ruled for three and a half years or 42 months. But when he shows his ugly head and he pulls himself up out of that abyss and he tries to declare to everybody that he is resurrected and he's miraculous and that he has all power and that he has power over death and all of the world begins to wonder at him and begin to worship the dragon or Satan because of this Antichrist. Listen, God declares to us, I'm telling you, get a little excited again, but God declares to us, you got 42 months left. Man, I love God. I love him. And I know God is not sarcastic like I am. And I know that Jesus is probably not sarcastic like I am, but I love scriptures whenever they brought an adulterous woman and Jesus didn't even say a word to him and he just wrote in the dirt. Huh? I love when things like that happen. And I look at this scripture and I look at God and Satan is on earth and all the people are going after him. They're the one that is giving him all of this energy and all of this power and all of this authority in the ear. And God is looking down at Satan going, you ain't got long. You don't have long. I like that. The Bible says, Jesus, you remember he came, put one foot on the sea and one foot on the shore, and he says that time would be ended. It wouldn't drag out anymore. And then the Antichrist comes up, and he thinks he's all-powerful. And God says, you got 42 months to continue your route. Huh? And then it's done. It's going to be finished. Isn't that exciting? Listen, the Bible says that he had this mouth of maliciousness. But tonight, the second point is this. He had a ministry of only months. Months. You know, I, I often think this way in my mind. People say, Mercy, will you come and speak here? And I go, yeah. Will you come in your family and y'all come and sing here? I go, yes, I'll go sing. Will, will you go and do this? Will you go and do that? And I'm always, yes, 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 because it's hard for me to say no. Because in the back of my mind, somehow, I always think, well, maybe I don't have a whole lot of time left. Maybe this might be my last thing, and this might be my last message tonight. You know what I mean? And it, it doesn't bother me that it's on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning, or if it was on a Tuesday afternoon, it doesn't matter to me. But it's like I always think in my mind, I don't have a whole lot of time. I don't have that much time left. And, and listen to me, if this young guy up here doesn't have a lot of time left, I'm just going to go and tell some of y'all, y'all, y'all don't have a lot of seconds left. All right? You ain't got a lot of time left to be all messed up about all this stuff and temporary and eternal things and stuff. But I'm so thankful that when I am placed into the casket, whatever they want to do with me, if, I, if, 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 if they cremate me and feed me to the crappie at Gunnersville, it doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter at all to me because you know why? Listen, it's not Steve that lives on, but it's Christ that lived in Steve that lives on. Amen. My lifespan is not just wrapped up in the certain amount of years that are here. My life is in Jesus Christ. My tabernacle, my skeno is in Jesus Christ. My home and my dwelling is there. So you can do whatever you want to because this is not what it's all about. Amen. It's all about what's on that side of it all. And I'm thankful for that. His ministry was only for months and man it's good Jesus you know what he said in Matthew chapter 24 he said that it was for the elect's sake those people that were saved during the time of the tribulation what he was talking about those who had received him it's not talking about the select people but the elect people those that had joined in Jesus Christ you know what it says it says except that time be shortened he says they would not be able to handle this stuff and so 
this time is shortened because of those people, amen? The Bible says that his ministry is a ministry of months. You know what the first thing that Satan, the Antichrist, is going to do in his ministry? He's going to make war against the saints, verse 7 says. He's going to come in and he's going to make war with them. You remember, they're going to flee. And they're going to get, the Bible says that they're going to gather up upon the wings of God and they're going to go out to the wilderness. They're going to flee out there. Remember, we joked around it being a Boeing 747, that's not, 737, that's not it. God's going to take them out there and God's going to shelter them. But Satan is not his army. Listen, the Bible even teaches us there's going to be an army of like 200 million. They're going to come in and they're going to try to make war with the saints. And many of them are going to die in the tribulation period. There are going to be many Jewish people that receive Jesus as their Savior that are going to die. Their blood is going to be shed. Some of them are going to be martyred. They're going to be beheaded. They're going to be killed. They're going to be burned. They're going to be doing all of the different deaths. It's going to be a horrible time. The Bible tells us this description. And here we go. We look at it and we go, God, why? Okay, God, you're God, right? And when we pray to him, God, you're so powerful. And you could stop this at any moment. Why do you not just stop him? Why do you not just look at Satan and go, absolutely not, no way, go, and just banish him to hell forever? Why don't you just do that? Any of you ever think that? You know what I mean? You ever look at that and think that? Listen, he's going to make war with the saints. His second thing, he's going to overcome them. In other words, he's going to overcome all of those people and he's going to bring death upon them. He's going to be ruling over all kings and kindreds and tongues and nations and all this. And he's going to be relishing in all this worship. Satan's always longed to be worshipped. And look at verse number 8. The Bible says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Do you remember we talked about that skene and the skeno words? See, I remember I told you earlier in verse number 6, look at it. It says that he blasphemes his name. Look at the end part, his tabernacle, which is Jesus. That's that skene word, that the tabernacle, Jesus came to be with us. But then it says, and them that dwell in heaven. It was talking about those that were on the earth that had their dwelling in heaven, amen, that they had a promise and a hope. And that was that word skeno, which means that they're going to hope in that. And so no matter what you do to this body, you could kill it and put it in the grave. It doesn't matter. You can't take Jesus away from me. You can't take my salvation away. But now look at verse 8. It says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship the Antichrist. Why does it say in these words now, those that dwell on the earth? The reason is, is because just like those that had their dwelling in heaven and they have their hope in heaven, now he's showing us those that have their hope and their dwelling and they've tabernacled in this earth and they've trusted in the things of Satan, the food that he is providing them, the power that he is giving unto them, all of that stuff. You know what it says? It says those that dwell on the earth, that they have their tabernacle, that skeno, they have it here and all their hope resides here. It says they worship the Antichrist. They worship the Antichrist. And they're looking to him. They're following him. They are wooing him. They're just in love. They're just so infatuated with all of this stuff. And they're just watching him as he, did that, as he does this. Listen, it's the same way with sin. I don't know if you've ever dealt with anyone and ever tried to help someone out that is blinded by their sin. Sometimes it's sin of drugs or alcohol or sexual sins or anything like that. And you look at it and you're trying to help. And it's like they don't even realize that they're doing anything wrong at all. And you, as a person that has been saved out of that, and you try to help them, what do you do? You say things in your prayer. You say things to your husband or your wife. Like, I just don't understand why they would just want to keep doing that. 
I mean, I've heard a story this morning about a family where uh, uh, they were kicked out of their home because the dad had beat everyone up and all the kids and stuff had bruises and all this stuff. And you go and talk to someone like that and they feel like that they've done nothing wrong. And you go, why? What is wrong? You, you go down here to Jefferson County Jail and talk to them. Most probably 90-something percent of them are all innocent. They, none of them did it, you know. They didn't do it and, and they can't see it. And you look at that and you go, why can't you do that? Well, let me ask you a question. Think back for a moment when you were in sin. You didn't realize it. You know why? Because you loved what you did. You know, there's one thing that my dad told me that I think that probably stuck with me more than anything else in my whole life of ministry, and it's this right here. It's very simple. People do what they want to do. You say, why don't people come to church? People do what they want to do. Why don't people do right? Because people do what they want to do. And that's true in sin. What is sin? The Bible describes sin as satisfying and pleasing and pleasuring self, right? It's pleasuring the flesh. And so, therefore, it is one that pleases the senses of the body. It pleases the mind. It pleases everything. Even and when you look at these things, even sexual sins and things that are going on nowadays, like pornography and all of this stuff that's so rampant everywhere, not just outside in the world, but in the church and everywhere else, it's because their body, when they look at these things, their body puts off this chemical called dopamine, and it actually gives them that rush feeling and stuff. And you go, why do you keep Keep doing that and then we look at it and we want to say well it's all a chemical thing well it's not really it's a sinful thing and you need to repent of that and not cause your mind to do that because I don't know if you understand this or not but I get very excited even when I read the word of God and I'm not going to say that it's dopamine but man it, it's dope and man it's good amen it's real good for us right don't you get offended at me because I said that I'm not doing drugs I'm just dragging on I'm talking about Jesus amen but it's exciting. So what you have to do is you have to replace that mind process. And a lot of people today go, bro, see, why can I not get away from that sin? Why can I not turn away from that sin? Why can't I let go of it all? Because we do what we want to do. But also this, because you're not replacing it. You're trying to throw it away and get it as far away from you, but you're not replacing it with something else. And you got to replace it with something else. In or, and what you need to put in there is Christ. You need to put, what you really need to put in there is the Word of God in your life. Amen? If we had a big sign, it would say, insert word here. All right? And that's what the Christians need. You look at this and you go, God, why don't you just, since we got saved, why don't you just take all of that away from us? I hear prayers all the time. I've prayed those prayers. God, if I'm your child, why do I have that desire? What, God, if I'm, your, if I'm a Christian, then why would I even think that? God, why would I even have that thought process? Why? Because when we would do good, evil is present. Sin and wickedness is always there with me. And that's not talking, Scripture's not talking about your husband always being around. Amen. It's talking about evil being there, temptation being there. And so, church, we got to understand when we look at it, he gets all of this allowance to do this and I'm just like y'all I'm no different and I look at scriptures like that and I go okay God I see what it says why why does he why excuse me why is he allowed to make war with the saints why is he allowed to overcome them why do these people have to go through this tribulation period I ask why and the only way that we can get those answers, some of you are going, Brother Steve, well, when we get to heaven, we'll understand it all, and he'll tell us all about it in the better by and by. But we can look at Scripture. 
And we can help ourselves understand through Holy Scripture why. Can I tell you why this is happening? There's two reasons. Number one is because it was prophesied and told. Prophecy was the warning to the children of Israel. Jeremiah and Isaiah warned the children of Israel to repent of their sins. And if they did not turn from their sins, then God was going to judge them. Daniel prophesied and told all of this stuff that was going to happen. And the reason this is happening in the book of Revelation was because God said back here in the Old Testament that it was going to take place. And so I have to go, okay, God, I understand that now. I receive that with 100%. But it doesn't really fit all of your character in love and grace and mercy how he can come in and, (coughs) excuse me, be wicked and do this stuff and that you would allow Satan to come in and to do these things. God, it really doesn't fit the whole character of who you are. It's just different to me. It's just weird, Lord, and so I need to understand. And I know some of you are looking at me like, Rusty, you must have faith. And I do have faith. But I also have the wonderful full word of God to get a hold of that faith in order to stir it up and help me understand it. And so the other reason is this, not only because it was told that it was going to happen and prophesied if they did not repent that God was going to judge their sins, but the reason that it was going to happen is because of the third point tonight. We talked about that he was given a mouth with maliciousness. We talked about that he was given a ministry of only months. But the third one is this, he was given a message. We are given a message that has meaning to it. I'm so thankful. I am so thankful that when we leave this service, hopefully you do not leave any service here at the church going, you know what, Brother Steve is right. I hope you never say that. I hope you look at the word of God when you leave here and you go, you know what, that word of God stirred my heart. That word of God helped me out. That scripture that was shared and preached, that's where the power came from. That was so good. And look, we understand it from beginning to end and not just kind of going, well, you know what? I'm going to take my knife out tonight. We'll cut out one scripture and we'll give it to you. We don't need to do it that way. Man, we need to have the full word of God. Look at what it says in verse number eight. It says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, the Antichrist. Who are the ones that are worshiping him? God gives us the answer. Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible says this. Now, this is a very familiar phrase to you. If you've read any of the four Gospels and you have read any of the words and read in your Bible, you have heard this statement before. If you have started with us in the book of Revelation, you would understand that for seven Sundays in a row with seven churches in the book of Revelation from chapter 2 and chapter 3, you heard these next words in verse number 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. (laughs) Now, isn't isn't God so simple? We look at the Bible as it's so difficult, and God says, if you've got an ear on the side of your head, you need to listen up. You know, this reminds me of my fifth grade teacher. The one that used to tell me, Abney, you need to compose yourself. The one that, you know, I'd get in trouble and I'd get called up. The one that actually took to the closet and actually powdered us even back then. The one that would look at us and would say, listen, God gave you one mouth, boy, and two ears. That means you need to listen to me more than you need to be talking. And then she, yes, ma'am. I'm telling you, you listen. She was like E.F. Hutton. You listen to her. And she said, two ears God gave you so you can listen more than you're running your mouth, right? This is what God is saying. A man or a woman that has an ear, let him listen up. 
don't you notice that earlier in the scriptures we talked about that Antichrist, Satan, in the fullness of the Antichrist, he was given a mouth because he was speaking these things, but they were giving him his ear, their ear. They were listening to the Antichrist. They were going, yes, speak more. The Bible even says that in the last days, Brother Mitch, it says they will have teachers coming in with itching ears, and they'll be tickling their ears with their words that they're saying. They'll try to make it good, and they'll try to butter it up, and they'll try to put jelly on the Word of God and try to make it easy to go in, and they'll just be giving everybody everything they want. And listen, please don't misunderstand me. I understand that we may need... Some point, uh, sermons with five points of how to be a better daddy and five points about how to be a better mom and five points how to be a better kid. But we need to get into the Word of God and know what Daniel said and know what Isaiah said and know what Micah said. And we need to know that the mercies of God endure forever from Psalms chapter 136 where it says it over and over and over. We need to get even to this, amen. You ought to amen this, man. We need even to get to the Song of Solomon. Hi, ah, yeah. Uh-huh. Come on now, church. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Listen, we need to preach those things. We need to preach all the Word of God. That's why everybody's so messed up in our churches and don't have any depth to their walk. They don't have any depth to their walk. And when someone that says they're a Christian dies, they act like they have no hope. When the Word of God says we do not grieve or mourn as those without hope, amen, we've got a hope that's both sure and steadfast that reaches into the veil where the forerunner has gone, amen. We need to preach all of the Word of God, even that very difficult, very kind of mystical kind of book of Revelation, Especially now in these days that we live more than ever. Why, Brother Steve? Because we're closer. This word, Jesus says what? He says, any man that has an ear, let him hear. You know, what this, you know where this first came from? We know that this is God's word. And we know that Jesus said it multiple times. But you know where it first came from? In the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, whenever they would come together and they would have the Feast of Tabernacles and they would have that wonderful assembly. Do you know what it was called? It was called a solemn assembly. Now, most of our churches today are solemn assemblies. They're as quiet as church mouse. They don't say anything. They don't move. They don't breathe. They don't do that. We ain't like that here. That's fine. Amen. We give high fives, and we want to run sometimes. We have a good time at the house of God. If it gets in you, it's got to come out some way. Amen. Uh, but when you look at it, they had a solemn assembly. And that is just like when we have our uh, Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or communion. A lot of times when you come, it's quiet. It's reverent. It's listening. You're focusing. You're 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 looking at those crackers that the ladies make here and you're looking at that juice and you're thinking about the body of Jesus and you're thinking about the blood that was shed. And so that brings in this solemn heart, this solemn attitude where it is a reverent, wonderful, respective kind of atmosphere. And in Leviticus, when they had the Feast of Tabernacles, do you remember the other day that I told you they would go out there and as they offered the sacrifices on that altar... They would actually drip that blood on the four corners of the altar. Even in the Jewish uh, writings, the, the Haggadah and other writings that they had, the, the Mishnah, that they said that there were times that there were so many animals slaughtered on the Temple Mount. It said that when the priest would wash off the altars in the Temple Mount, that it would pour over and go into the Kidron Valley. And during the time of year when Jesus came in at Passover, whenever he came in into that place, you look at that and you think about how that Kidron Valley would be stained and mingled with that blood knowing that that creek was up at that time listen church it's wonderful how God did these things 
Well, when those priests would go out there, you remember I told you they would take that big, huge uh, uh, bowl and they would go down there and fill it up at the pool of Siloam and they would come back to the altar and as they poured that water upon that altar, it was called a solemn assembly. It came all the way back from the days of Leviticus. Solemn assembly where everyone was to be reverent, was to be quiet, and what they were doing was is they were listening for God. Whenever they came together in a solemn assembly... They were listening for God to speak. And the Bible says in John chapter 7 that Jesus stood up in that day during that solemn assembly as they were pouring that water from the pool of Siloam as they did all that week on that last day, the great day of the feast is what it actually says, amen. And it was a great day indeed. Whenever they were pouring that water on top of that and that water was washing that blood and moving those things back, do you know what was going on? Jesus stood in that solemn assembly and he said and cried with a loud voice, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. All those people at that time were doing what? They were tuning their ear in to listen. They were waiting on God to speak, and they were quiet, and all of a sudden, God in the flesh spoke out, and he said, I've got water for you. I've got water. He told a woman at a well one time, I've got water that you'll never thirst again. I've got enough here for you. Come and have, and there's plenty. There's enough to go around. You can have all of this, church. And Jesus says, is telling us right here, as John writes this down, he says what? He says, if any man has an ear, let him hear. So all of a sudden, thinking about the Antichrist, thinking about our dwelling place, thinking about Jesus that made his tabernacle with us, thinking about our tabernacle that is in heaven, the, the Antichrist ruling around him, then all of a sudden, John goes, hey, reel it in. Uh, I don't know if you know Johnny Hunt or not. Johnny Hunt's probably, well, he, he's probably about this tall. And Johnny Hunt's a little Indian guy that was saved out of the pool rooms of North Carolina. He was a pool hustler, and man, he got saved. He's an evangelist. He loves the Lord. Uh, we actually joined our services at Gardendale a few weeks ago, and uh, Johnny Hunt was the one that was preaching that night. And Johnny Hunt always uses this phrase. He goes, all right, lean in. He always says, lean in. I like that because what he's trying to do, he, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't have the authority to say any man that has an ear, let him hear. But Johnny Hunt's figured out his own phrase. It goes, just lean in with me. Just kind of press in for a moment and lean in. And Jesus said, or John says right here, says, anybody has an ear, let him hear. Because he's fixing to say something. He's trying to bring all of this thought and stuff together. Amen. He, he's like the pastor that it's about 12, 15, and he says in conclusion for the 15th time. Amen. He says, if any man has an ear, let him hear. God spoke three things in the scripture. Look at verse number 10. He says, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. The first thing he says is he that leads people into captivity is also going to go into captivity. Listen to those words. He says, second of all, he that kills with the sword will be killed with the sword. The last thing he says, this is the patience and faith of the saints. All these things sound really, really familiar, doesn't it? As you pray and you go, all right, Lord, I'm trying to fit this in into the character of an almighty God. I know that you love us and I know that you're a God of wrath. And I know that the scriptures say that you're long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I also know that people reject you, and so therefore you do not send them to hell. They reject you, and they send themselves. And we look at these questions, and we go, okay, looking at this, and just kind of go with me in this idea. But Andrew and Jacob being born of you know, me and Patty, uh, by the way, no matter how you put it together, we didn't create that. God gave us a wonderful ability to come together and designed us in such a way to where in the reproductive uh, uh, situation and body that they came, but they came from God. When they were born, I took them immediately and began to pray over them and say, God, they're yours. And whenever 
you choose to take them, then I'll be okay because they're yours and not mine. Thank you. Everything that I prayed, I had to. Because not that I'm setting myself up for something happening to my boys, no. But I'm saying, God, they're yours. And whatever you want to do with them, God, I, I'm, I'm willing. And Lord, just let you know that thank you for letting me borrow them. And when you look at this, we want, we're tempted to go, okay, I created it, Jacob, and I created Andrew, and I did that. And, and, and you look, I used to joke around a whole lot, but Jacob's always been a lot like his father. He's real, Jacob is very fitting on the name. He's sneaky. He's, you know, he's behind the scenes. He's kind of, you know, we, we have a good time there. They, they, you know, I mean, they're 10 and 2 driving down the road. Jacob gets in a go-kart first day, flips the bad boy. And then he, I'm like, oh. He's got the Abney gene in him on stuff like that. And so I've always joked around and I said, you know, if we were to leave them at home by themselves, I always know if, if I had matches or I had a lighter or something like that on the counter, I always know when I left the house, if I would have said, do not touch this. Do not use the matches. Do not use the lighter. Do not touch this. <laughs> He's leaning forward in prayers, repenting. <laughs> I always know who the one that was going to do that. I know who it was because you can ask the one that may be on the front row. You can ask them because I always turn to them and look to them specifically and went, do you hear me? Do not touch the lighter, do not touch the matches, do not light candles, and do not use the stove. But now he's a wonderful cook and can cook everything, and the other one can't do anything. He can play, he can play but he's going to starve to death, so Jacob's going to be a chef for him. You say, well, how would you know that, and how would Patty know that? Well, first of all, Mama knows everything, and second of all, it's because of the foreknowledge. Not that they are my creation, but if it's that easy for a father and mother to know roads and to know how they're going to go because of my foreknowledge, then how much greater is God's foreknowledge of his actual creation? See, it's not that God made them to go do that, but God understands that they will and knows that the same way that he knew Esau would be one that would declare that he hated his birthright, in other words, to turn around and despise God Almighty. So church, when you look at this, as we're going to close in conclusion, it says, he that leads into captivity will go into captivity. He that kills by the sword will die by the sword. But look at this, it says, here's the patience and the faith of the saints. And you go, God, why? All right, why would you do that? Why do I have to make it more evident and more clear for one than I do the other? God, why would you allow Satan to come in and to overrun the world and do all this stuff? It sounds familiar because listen to what the Scripture says. Understand this. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Be not deceived, because God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. See, the Bible says that these people that were what? Dwelling in the earth. They took and they actually pitched their tents in the earth. When they put it there, they were saying, God, we don't want what you have to offer we want what the Antichrist has to offer. And now God is saying, you're going to reap what you sow. As these saints of God are, but those are wicked people. What about the saints of God? 
Remember, these that are saved during that tribulation period are of the people of God, the tribe of Israel, the ones that were what? Going to be chastened, going to be whipped because God said it was for thy people and thy holy city. God told them years ago, you were going to endure this time frame and he is not slacking on how long that it's going to happen. It actually said 490 years are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 says it is going to happen. 483 of those years have come to pass, and we know it because God laid the timeline out, and seven more years are there, and God is not going to go, okay, you know what? All right, that's fine. Everything, you know, this has been enough. We're just going to call it quits. No, God is a God of his word, and he is going to chastise them for the fullness of it all. He's not like us. That will go, you know what, buddy, or you know what, sis, or you know what, daughter, I'm going to just let you ease up. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to chastise them because he wants them to understand his judgment. Here's the last thing. Psalms 50, verse 21, look at what it says. These things hast thou done, and I kept silent. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Let's read this scripture in, in, in the terminology that we would understand in warrior terminology. He said, these sinful things, that's what you've done. He said, and I kept quiet about them. I kept silent. And what he was talking about is you continued on. And you know that for a space of 400 years, there was a time frame where God was quiet with his people. And they continued to go, what, deeper and darker into sin. And then all of a sudden, what does he say? He said, you thought that I was altogether like you. But evidently, you didn't read Isaiah that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. But God says in the scripture, you thought that I was altogether like one of you. And you know what, you know what he was talking about, don't you? How many of you in here ever discipline your kids? Some of you don't, don't raise your hands because you're lying. I see them, right? Listen, you discipline your kids. You know what one of the hardest things to do, especially as they get older, you know what one of the hardest things to do is? Is to hold on to that discipline. You know what, you know what one of the worst things you can do is? You can look at your child and say, all right, you and I are going to have a talk when you get home. I'm going to have to punish you, and I'm going to have to spank you. And then you go home and you don't do it. When you go home and you don't do it, I'm going to tell you what goes on in the mind of a child because I had a mind of a child before is that, eh, you know, it ain't no big deal. You didn't with me last time. You know, it's no big deal. And they just keep running around. You wonder why they're doing that. It's because they don't have any respect for you because you're not holding true to the word. God says, you thought I was like you and that I had a mind like you that would just forget all that stuff. He said, no. He says, I will reprove you. And he says, and I will set them all in order before your eyes. He says, he's going to do it. You know what God's saying? Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you want the world, you're going to reap the world. If you want the Antichrist, you're going to reap the Antichrist. If you want hell, then that's what you're going to reap. You're going to reap those things. So in conclusion is this right here. Listen, God.